This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. Okay, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Make Your Pitch. We're happy to have all of you here today and thank all of you for following us. Uh, on every Thursday of the week, we come out with a new episode, either with uh, someone making a pitch on what they have to offer or presenting you with experts so that you know a little bit more about how to approach investors and, of course, even investors themselves. So we know that along the way, you're certainly going to gain some knowledge that will help you grow your business and to find investments. In this particular case, that's where we're headed because we have a tremendous guest today, Michael Brown, who is into an area that is uh, steeped in data. And before we get too much into that, Ellen, let's hear a little bit more about Michael. Thank you, Christopher. Michael Brown is the founder and CEO of Cloud9. Cloud9 specializes in using data as a resource. The greater the value, the greater the need to apply measured governance, tracking, protection, maintenance, and compliance. Healthcare, insurance, and financial services are among the industries that are governed by such a wide range of regulatory obligations around the treatment of information. Michael is responsible for the processes, tools, and controls necessary to meet the complex information handling requirements. Michael has over 25 years experience assisting companies with innovation, business enabling tech and technologies. Michael is a de dedicated philanthropist supporting a number of charities that focus on children. Welcome, Michael. Very, very good. You. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Michael, it's all yours. Thank you, my man. Christopher and Ellen, I appreciate the invitation and um, sharing, our, sharing our story with everyone. So yeah, we founded the company based upon um, a couple of key principles is actually protecting uh, the privacy of every individual while also meeting regulatory requirements for enterprises. Um, what we've developed is a platform where enterprises um, across the globe, what's happening is that they have these operating systems that um, continuously operate in silos. You know, they're managing HR data, um, financial data, um, supply chain data, and customer data, all independently of one another. And so what we do is we um, aggregate the data, 
unify it and then uh, provide intelligence uh, on that information based upon the data sources. Now there's a couple of components that make it challenging. It's um, the data sources that you're dealing with, um, the data that you're handling. It's, um, it's basically difficult to handle. Um, it's, it's dirty, right? Um, data from its data sources, it's just unstructured, it's dirty data. And it just takes a great deal of expertise to handle that data. And so the first problem that major, some, several organizations have is the ability to harvest that data. And then once you've um, harvested that data, you have to create uh, basically a digital strategy. And the problems that many organizations have is um, the data or the databases and also the data warehouses that they're operating with um, are just so complicated to manage. And so in order to deploy a full uh, digital strategy, it takes any organization uh, 12 to 18 months to actually uh, be able to utilize the data that they're collecting today. And so we uh, minimize that process. Uh, essentially what we're doing is we're um, taking an academic process and um, industrializing it, right? Simultaneously and reducing the amount of time it takes to gain in, in intelligence on data. And what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is, well, within the healthcare space, essentially it's to help these enterprises, um, insurance companies and providers um, efficiently manage uh, the data that they're continuously handling. Like they're handling patient data, supply chain data. Um, they're also handling a lot of the uh, credentialing or the HR data, um, doctor's information, nurses' information. And so it just becomes too complicated for them to manage. And one of the issues that they have is uh, trying to um, also meet the Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement schedules. You know, the issues that these enterprises have is uh, 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 cash flow, right? It's all about cash flow. So anytime a, a patient enters into the um, provider environment, it typically takes six or nine months for that uh, provider to actually receive cash from that initial visit. So the intention by aggregating the data is one, provide more transparency, right? improve the quality of care um, and then um, reduce the amount of time it takes to process a claim. Basically effectively um, managing their efficiency process, you know, by augmenting their workflow, we're able to reduce the amount of time it takes to manage that claim and process it. Um, I'll stop there. Do you have any questions so far? No, I think you're doing a great job. Go right ahead. Okay. So the, the impact of that, of actually managing all of that data or collecting all that data for enterprises, for patients, um, it's, as I mentioned, it's providing transparency to the patient. One of the issues that insurance, insurance companies have and providers have is not um, making the patient aware of what um, it costs, right, for the care, the medication, and so um, in effect, what, they, what the providers wanna be able to do is provide uh, like a low cost uh, uh, patient schedule um, or treatment schedule that patients can actually see before going in to actually receive any treatment. And what, that'll, what, what that essentially does, it eliminates a lot of patients uh, from going to the hospital 
to receiving care where it's the most expensive. And then it allows uh, patients the opportunity to go to uh, many clinics that are available to actually reduce the cost of care. And then you give more people greater access. I mean, one of the challenges that we have within the healthcare system is that you have to be insured. You know, you have to be heavily insured. You know, a lot of these hospitals, they don't make money on people that are underinsured. And most of the people that are underinsured are people that are poor, you know, people that are affected in, you know, urban communities. And so what you find is that a lot of those hospitals, even the nonprofit hospitals are moving out of those areas and they're servicing more, more affluent uh, communities. And so as a re the result of that is because they're focusing on, um, higher margin or higher cost of care items, which just don't serve uh, people that are um, underinsured. And so that's a large, that's a large proportion of uh, the market that we have of the people that are underinsured. So that's one of the um, avenues that we have is one, providing better patient care. And the other component is um, research data. And so one of the areas of research that we're working on is also uh, considered uh, uh, working on cancer, pandemic, and mental health research. And we're working on those areas because um, in, in order to gather any research data, and again, as I mentioned, um, in order to gain any insight on research data that you're collecting today, it will take you 12 or 18 months to actually have your databases, data warehouses in order, in order to model that data. So it just takes too much time to do it. And so we're able to condense that and deploy it in a really short amount of time um, because we're interoperable with uh, existing infrastructure. Any questions? Okay, just <clears throat> backing back just uh, briefly to the, uh, the medical side, uh, what kind of protection uh, do the patients have as far as their privacy in, within that system? Oh, it becomes algorithmic. That's a great question. So it actually becomes part of the algorithm. So what happens is we're creating what's called a uh, patient ecosystem. So each, each patient would have their individual ecosystem. Not only would I have my ecosystem of patient data, but I can share it with people. And the purpose of um, collecting your own data is that it should reduce the amount of time um, that it takes to get an appointment, get approval, because you essentially what you have is you have your own uh, digital wallet that has all of your healthcare information available. And your digital wallet on your healthcare information has your entire uh, healthcare history, okay? So for me, I have also aging parents, right? And I have a father that um, requires skilled nursing care. And so I, I want a patient ecosystem also for my father, right? Not able to speak. And so by using um, biometric devices, either a wearable, or a smart speaker, I'm able to monitor him 24 seven. I can see what's happening or hear what's happening to him on a continuous basis. And so that's the whole idea of having uh, a, a, an ecosystem for that patient like my father. And then what he will, in that ecosystem that he has or all of his patient data, he has the permission to give access to that data who he wants. He can give access to myself, my sister, his doctor, anyone else. But that's the purpose of having all that data because it's just easy to manage, right? Think about if you have to go to a doctor's visit with your aging parent, it's usually two people at a visit. If you change anyone that attends that uh, visit or a caregiver, you still have to communicate that data to everyone, uh, all the 
family members and all the doctors. And so it's a matter of uh, managing that data for each individual, not just for the hospitals, but for yourself. And when you start talking about uh, digital wallets, now, in my case, uh, my, my only reference to that really is in cryptocurrency, okay? We put it into a digital wallet. Is it something similar to that? We're using uh, a semblance of like a thumb drive or something like that for it. And if that is the case, then if that is uh, corrupted in some way, how do they rebuild it? Well, it's corrupt. Well, one, your digital wallet, you're exactly right. It's, you're visualizing it just like your crypto wallet, but that digital wallet also has any information that you want. You give your wallet the permission to hold anything you want, your credit score, um, your healthcare information, any of your social security, right? What happens is that if that um, um, wallet is breached, what does the hacker see, right? They don't see anything. What I'm saying is even if... You, once your digital wallet or your ecosystem is created, you can give your data away to a hacker. They can't see it because they have to know the algorithm and they have to have a key to be able to view that data. That all the data is, becomes algorithmic, right? And whenever you hack into a um, database or um, cloud infrastructure, all the data is basically stored in columns, columns and rows, right? If it's hacked into, your first name is in column one, last name is in column two, your date of birth is in the next column. Address, it's in, every, it's in every column, right? In our system, we don't store data in columns. So yeah, if it's breached, fine, right? You'll see, you would see, if you saw my name, you would see Michael Brown in that data. You might see some numbers, but you wouldn't know if those numbers are my phone number, my social security number, my zip code, or my address. You would have no idea. You'd be able to see Michael Brown, but you wouldn't know what that data is connected to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I think it, the not hacking. I was, I was more referring to if that oh. particular drive was uh, was corrupted and the and the data was lost in that uh, wallet. Uh, where does it? Where is the backup stored? I suppose I would ask. Oh, exactly. So it's actually stored in the cloud for you. So it's stored in the cloud, and you would there would be a dual authentication. So if you had the data in your phone. Um, there'd be a dual authentication either through um, biometric thing, um, your um, um, thumb, thumbprint, but yeah, you would be able to retrieve the data that way. And it's only, and the data is only, um, it's only connected to you. Like you're the only person that can verify the data. Nobody else could verify the data at all. So, okay. yeah. <clears throat> all right. That, that's all I have for now. Go right ahead, sir. Oh, for myself. Um, so yeah, in terms of um, our research, yeah, like as I mentioned, um, one of the our go to markets that we have um, is actually focusing on pandemic research. Um, we're actually collecting and aggregating the data that um, World Health Organization has been collecting for the research. The issue that they have is none of that data is protected. And so the purpose of collecting that data is also to be able to share it um, in um, Geneva, Switzerland, where they're headquartered, there's basically um, 3,000 scientists that are headquartered there. And then as a result, what we have to do is actually share the data with the 90 countries that they have relationships and um, partnerships with. Okay. And that's uh, for, uh, for the co- <laughs> Coronavirus you're talking about there is that is that correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. And so what the purpose is, it's not just for coronavirus, but it's also for pandemic or also for cancer research. What the objective, the objective at the World Health is that um, they're focusing on sharing data with uh, lower middle income countries. And so there's about 90 countries that are involved in that program, but there's also public private partnerships. And so within those countries, you're sharing the data um, not only with the labs that they have, but there's also um, universities. And the purpose, the purpose of sharing all this data is that you wanna be able to leverage the data with uh, essentially you'll have 30,000 scientists um, essentially running sequences on um, data that we've collected. And you, if you compare that today and during COVID, um, see, they're sequencing maybe 10,000 uh, data sets, whereas we'll be able to sequence billions of data sets within billions of data sets within billions of data sets while having 100,000 scientists simultaneously um, working on the data in their natural language. That's the other component. All of these scientists and academics aren't technical. And so we're filtering the data so that um, they can um, access the data using their own natural language, email and how they speak to one another, right? And that's across the country. So we also have to add the linguistics portion of it so all the scientists understand how to access the data. Totally amazing. At you know, with, with that being said, I know there are probably other verticals that you're aim, are, are targeting. What other verticals are you looking at right now? So that's a great question. So we are, um, so right now there's so many verticals really just within the healthcare area. So um, if you take a look at, well, any of the companies that we're operating with or working with, what's happened is that over the last 20 years, all they've done is acquire other companies. And what they've, what they've accumulated is what we've called, um, considered zombie technologies, right? They're walking dead, right? What that means is that as they've acquired these other enterprises, instead of properly integrating them with their current systems, they have an entire team maintaining them. They're maintaining operating systems that are essentially walking dead. They have systems engineers, um, project managers, and analysts. And so what happens is as we're deployed, those legacy systems are now sunset. And um, the ROI is immediate. Um, that's because because we're deployed as a SaaS model and we have several users using it simultaneously, um, organizations can log into the system from day one and they can see and monitor how the data is running. And so that's how they can measure, you know, how it's working um, and uh, determine the, the rapid ROI. But in terms of industries, yeah, there's no limit just because the last 20 years, everyone's been accumulating data, right? And it's not efficiently operating for them. Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused 
on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, go to the show notes of this episode. So, Michael, I have a question about uh, this data collection that you do. Is the ultimate goal of your company to create a structure that not only healthcare and finance, those industries can access, but other industries can access the data because it's structured and easy for them to derive whatever the answer is they're looking for in a problem that they're trying to assess or define? Yeah, that's correct. So anyone that wants to gain insight on customer data, right? That's where it starts. You have to, if you want to gain insight on customer data, however, you have to meet regulatory requirements. So that's the other uh, complicated component. So yeah, those are those are areas. Um, and then the other the other area that um, that would be critical for any organization is um, uh, managing their workflow or optimizing or augmenting their workflow, and then also um, reconciling data, you know, any, any data reconciliation uh, becomes difficult. So when you're a global organization, you have supply chains that are um, just spread out or just in puzzles at the moment. What happens is, is um, as the, even as the markets close today, you still have um, global organizations that are trying to collect data, you know, old data, right, that they currently have. And then there's also new data that enters into the system. So entirely managing that process um, becomes, you know, very, very complex um, to, to, to handle. And so, yeah, we just mitigate that and just simplify it. So that what it does is any company that wants to um, initiate a digital strategy or gain insight on their data can do it, right? It just, want, we just wanna make it simple for them to be able to access the data. Now, those companies, uh, in order to have access to the um, environment that you've created, uh, I would imagine they have to go through several levels of approval in order to be able to begin looking at or defining the type of access to data that they're looking for. Yeah, it's not just not just approval, but it's just a challenge to um, code. So the architecture, so regardless of your data stack, at the bottom of the data stack, you have a relational database, right? A relational data, 98% of the, 98% of the businesses run on Oracle, 99% run on Oracle. And so what they've defined is that anytime you want to interact with that relational database, and when I mean interact, it's um, transaction, gaining the insight, there are rules required to gain access to that database, right? It's, that, that's, all, that's how they're all built. And so it just makes it too complicated that you're dealing with um, data quality, right? Then you have to deal with architecture. That's why it takes so long in order to initiate any type of strategy. It's 12 or 18 months. It's just a minimum. And there's, don't get me wrong, there's many companies that do what we do. Many, many, many companies. The challenge is that what they deal with is one, they're creating a copy of their client data, right? It takes them too, too much time, right? The other component is that they're creating a copy of their client data, right? That's what our company do. And um, there, uh, it's too many resources, it takes too many resources. And so, and those are publicly traded companies. And so if you're a small organization, how can you take advantage of um, your data? If you're a small organization, when it's too expensive for you, right? To initiate, and you gotta, and you gotta find the people that, that do it. So I've been working in databases for 28 years, right? Not, I'm, not a, and I don't, I'm not a technical person, just selling the database architecture, working within the healthcare space. 
EMR, uh, EMR implementation after EMR implementation from insurance payers and providers, it's complicated. You know, once you initiate that and you move into a live environment, it's extremely complicated, right? I'm not even saying that we are successful at it. We're initiating it and we're initiating it at a global scale. And so that's what we're tackling at this point. The computing power must be phenomenal. Yeah, so that's a part of our IP. Yeah, it's um, our, comp our computational ability because you have to be able to file all that data um, because the data that we're dealing with, it's, um, it's heterogeneous data, you know, especially when in the healthcare space, you're dealing with uh, gene annotation. And so um, retaining the contextual of that data and analyzing it and sharing it is also important. And the other, and the other piece is that we're eliminating any, um, um, any manual labor, you know, no humans are, are handling the data. And now the reason why that's important to several of, um, of the enterprises that we're dealing with, regardless of healthcare industry or banking, they all have to follow regulatory requirements. And the problem when you have people handling data you've added an additional layer of risk because it's, there's um, algorithmic bias that these organizations are aware of. More people you handle data, remember the data quality is poor, data's dirty, has to be cleansed, has, there's feature engineering that has to take place. And so we do that all without uh, any, what, what's called, there's no supervision. You know, there's no human actually supervising that training. Our system um, learns on its own. To, so that's that's a part of our IP and um, our computational power. So yeah, so we're actually partnering with competitors, which is great. Now, one last question for me, and that is, what attracted you to this field? Because it seems like it's a nascent field, but you you have spent time in it. Uh, what was it that attracted you to this specifically? So, oh yeah, it started with cancer research. And so my mother was diagnosed with can lung cancer uh, 2017. Uh, one of the other founders at the same time, he lost his wife to brain cancer. And so we thought, you know, wh what can we do? And the first step was not that, not that we, went, we went into it saying, hey, we can cure cancer. We said, what's the problem that a lot of these enterprises have? You know, they're, they're collaborating right now. Um, you see it happening right now with COVID research. The reason why they can't collaborate, it's the regulatory requirements, data privacy, right? And so the first step is we can help with the collaboration process. Um, that's, we can solve data privacy. We can remove any type of personal identifiable information from any data, it becomes algorithmic. Once we know GDPR, HIPAA, all of that becomes algorithmic, right? So that was the first step. Then the next step was how do you harvest that data? Right, we have the computational power to harvest that data, and it's not just any data; it's uh, genomic data. So that was the first step, and so then we presented our solution to World Health Organization, and then that's when things started moving forward. Uh, through the World Health Organization, they introduced uh, introduced us to uh, the UICC, which is the Union for International Cancer Control. And so they've been collecting tumor cells for years, right, for years. But the issue that they have is actually cataloging that data. The issue with cataloging cancer data, it's, um, it's the molecular pathway, right? It's the amount of data that you have to collect. There's nothing out there that collects 
this type of data. And so that's where we started um, with uh, cancer research. And then through COVID, World Health Organization said, we have new data that we want you to analyze. And so it became COVID research. So we still have, um, we're still working on cancer research with the UICC. And again, the purpose is uh, collecting the data. As I mentioned, it's collecting the data, harvesting the data, and, the, and it's um, uh, sharing the data with uh, LMICs, lower middle income countries. And so what they believe, so with the World Health Organization, what they've identified is that there's no known cure for cancer, okay? Once the DNA, um, once the DNA has been damaged, there's no known cure. So the best approach for LMICs is actually to work on preventative care. So that's the focus with those 90 countries. Now, uh, on the side of, besides that of preventative care, we also have um, the public-private partnerships where there's corporations that are, that are gonna use the same data for um, personalized care. Um, they're actually focusing on, so we're, we're it's a gene annotation project and it's uh, directly focusing on uh, mRNA, right? The impact of mRNA on um, the different genes for not only cancer, mental health, but also pandemic research. Okay, uh, do, uh, do me a favor and, and uh, highlight some of your, your team members and what their position in the company is. Oh yeah, so, um, I have close to 30 years um, on, as I mentioned, I'm non-technical, but I've been working on databases for so long. It's just kind of organically there. Um, everyone, on, everyone else on the team is extremely technical um, and everyone on the team has at least uh, 28 to 30 years of experience. I actually have two physics PhDs that are on the team that operate our AI core. Uh, my co-founder, um, He's been working and leading major engineering teams through um, SwiftBank, World Health Organization as well. And so our lab is actually located in Geneva, Switzerland. And so we're a Geneva certified laboratory. Um, same certification that Google has. Google has a lab in uh, Switzerland as well. A lot of uh, IP companies um, have their lab there. And so it's, it gives us the opportunity to leverage all of the scientists that are there. At the moment, we have five full-time people. Um, we're raising capital in our seed round. And um, with that capital, we're essentially um, hiring salespeople to go after the accounts that we have in our pipeline. I mean, we, we have at least 30 implementation projects over the next 30 months. And so we're, we're booked. And um, we have two recurring models. Um, one recurring model we have is our technology. The other recurring model we have is our professional services. And so um, we expect some pretty rapid growth. What, what amount are you needing to uh, close out this round, uh, Michael? Uh, right now we're raising a million in our seed round. Um, that's, and we need uh, less than half, need half of that to close out the round. Okay, all right. Uh, Ellen, any questions? No, I just think it's fascinating to hear Michael describe it, and I'm imagining what it looks like. It's it's quite interesting, really. It is. It must be, uh, goodness, fascinating and interesting to you to see it develop and grow. Yes, it's extremely fascinating. Um, not just what we're working on, but it's more fascinating to see the people that we're working with. You know, yes. to be able to work with. 
some of the leaders in, you know, in edge computing, um, you know, we're working with the CERN, um, uh, MIT, obviously, uh, World Health Organization. And so all of these companies that are really, I think we're going to be partnering with, you know, like we're standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, obviously we're a startup company, but um, what's, what, what they realize is that, you know, we have to be transparent, even as a startup company. When somebody gives us their data, they're essentially giving us access to their baby, right? They have to trust us. And so we have so many companies that are willing to give us access to their data. Uh, we're just so fortunate. So yeah, it's very exciting. I think it's going to be more exciting, not what we're developing, but actually what other people are developing. You know, when you have um, other scientists like the UICC and the CERN actually using your technology to leverage their data, it's really going to be more exciting to see what they develop, not what we do. What, what have you got in mind as far as your exit plan right now? Oh, that's a really good question. So we have to hit a couple of milestones at this point. And so um, we have a couple of public announcements that have to be made. And um, what I mean is that, so the enterprises that we're working with, we're, we're under NDA. And so they will actually make the public announcement for us. So we have one of the uh, major banks in the, in the country that's actually, uh, that will be using our um, our platform. And then they have to make a public announcement to the U.S. Department of Treasury. And so once that's made, um, that means several other banks will fall in line. That's one component. The other component that we have, that's on the banking side. On the healthcare side, as I mentioned on gene annotation, uh, if we hit our roadmaps correctly, we, we've been invited to present um, our, our platform to the uh, uh, World, Econ World Economic Forum. So that's, uh, it was Davos in uh, March, but it's been moved to Singapore in May. So. So if we hit those timeframes, we'll actually make an announcement um, at Singapore in May. If we don't hit that timeframe, then Davos moves back to March. And so we'll introduce and make an announcement at that point. So after we make those announcements and we have multiple projects and use cases in our pipeline, cash in the bank and contracts in place, yeah, we'll definitely, we're definitely taking a look at um, an exit strategy. We're already speaking with bankers right now. So yeah, it, it's, it's come up quite a bit, but at this point, I just wanna make sure that we have our playbook in place, revenues in place, everything we have that's anticipated, companies are on board. And then when these companies are on board, because of the level, because of the nature of the, of the projects, um, they will make the announcements and that'll, that'll, that will validate uh, quite a few things for us. So does that mean uh, acquisition or IPO or what? It's, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, an IPO. Um, in terms of acquisition, you know, someone, someone obviously can, um, in terms of the vertical markets that we're pursuing, we have, so the bank that we've spoken to has already, has already um, um, spoken about buying what we have, but just for banking. Um, but what we, but what we would prefer to do is license it to other banks. It's not just to other banks, but it's also trading companies. So building the same frame, framework for other, other companies. With that said, yeah, obviously an IPO has come into mind. I'm not, um, I've, I've been, I've worked with publicly traded companies as a director before, so I don't wanna say an IPO is, is so easy, but yeah, we're definitely talking, talking about um, doing that right now. We actually have a consultant that's come on board to uh, basically prepare us for banking um, for, the, for that next step. Um, we also have other investors 
that are looking at us, that are packaging us, basically going through what we call financial engineering to um, basically prepare us either for acquisition or IPO. I prefer to go the IPO route um, just because that option has been presented to us, uh, not only for um, the US, but also in Canada. Um, the Toronto Stock Exchange, the TSX has what they have, uh, they have a uh, venture back exchange. And so we have been um, actually kind of persuaded or um, I guess introduced to pursue that route instead of our Series A. And what that'll do is, is we can actually issue, instead of in our Series A, um, selling preferred shares, we can list on the TSX and um, issue common shares and then investors can have an exit, um, participate in an exit earlier way. So those are those we have we have we have a lot of options. We have a lot of options coming we up. Certainly which is good. Do. Uh, if the yeah. Canadian way comes up, let, let me know before you go there so I can get in on it. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that's just explored. They're they're coming our way, and it's it's not something that we actually initiated. Um, it was really because we discussed a our pricing out our series. So our Series A, they're looking at pricing it between 25 and 30 million valuation and a $10 million raise. However, if we have the contracts in place that we should have, the TSX has told us that we're priced the same way as a Series A. They'll price us at uh, eight, eight times eight times revenue because of our margins. You know, our margins are, are just like a SAS, it's a SAS model. So that's how they price it. So we'll we'll take a look at it. But yeah, of course. That, that just shows that there's a fantastic future uh, for you and your company. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Make Your Pitch. It has been absolutely fascinating. And I know that the, those who are listening not only have learned something, but I hope based on what you're telling them, because I personally can see it, this is uh, going to be an excellent investment for someone. And the growth is, is so obvious. So we'll look, we'll look forward to uh, some investors taking a look at you via the Make Your Pitch platform. Uh, before we end, Michael, is there anything you'd like to say to kind of wrap things up? Maybe uh, say it to uh, an investor, say, for example, to wrap it up. Oh, man. So what I would say is that um, you can either go to our website, which is cloud9ai.com. We actually have an investor relations page that's there that'll give you kind of some highlights of the team. And then obviously, if you need um, information from us, like our deck or investor memo, on our, our investor relations page, there's also a, a form that you can uh, put your information in and you'll obviously receive our deck, investor memo or anything you'd like. Excellent, excellent. Ellen, anything uh, to wrap it up? I just want to thank my, Michael for sharing uh, a really interesting technology, a concept, and a path forward to arrive at Series A. This is pretty good. Thank you yeah. for your time today. Yeah, thank, can I add one more? I forgot to add one. So in terms of investors, we've actually already received investment from uh, two other institutional investors. And so if any investor wants to speak with our 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 first investors, then yeah, they're available as well. Excellent. That makes it even better right there. All right. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that'll be the wrap for this episode of Make Your Pitch. Our certain appreciation again to Michael Brown for taking the time to not only make its pitch, but also explain it in a detail, in a way that uh, people can understand. And if you want more detail and get and dig deep and get down into the trenches, 
I'm sure that Michael will be happy to talk to you and get down into the trenches with you. But for now, what we always say is make your pitch. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button. And if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch.